Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. So many great conversations over the years about so many great movies. And some stinkers. Well, true. But you know, producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. In season three, we covered even more great adaptations like The Night of the Hunter and It Happened One Night, both part of our Couples on the Run series. We talked about No Country for Old Men. The Coen brothers so rarely adapt someone else's work. We had some fun rom-com adaptations like About a Boy, based on the Nick Hornby novel, and Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, adapted from Rachel Cohn and David Levithan's book. In our terribly and naively named foreign language series, we discussed the brilliant City of God and the Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which I won't ever be able to watch again, ever. But could you read the original memoir? I don't know, maybe? We had our Richard Dysart series with adaptations like The Day of the Locust and Being There. Plus, we had that fantastic interview with the man himself. <laughs> the one where we had him sit on the floor? Because this chair was so squeaky. <laughs> Good times. We did our first Tom Hanks series with Forrest Gump adapted from Winston Groom's novel, plus Apollo 13 based on Lost Moon by Jim Lovell. And we did another year series looking at films from 1981, including Das Boot, Gallipoli, and Thief, all based on books. Listeners can dive deeper into all of these original stories and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, movie, video game. Video game. <laughs> you bet. We have talked about some video game adaptations as well. It doesn't matter the source, just follow the link. Every purchase supports the podcast. Check out the full list at thenextreel.com slash originals and get reading, watching, performing, or playing today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Don't worry. Don't worry. Everything, we just have to have a little faith. Everything will, uh, everything happens for a reason. Don't worry. Be happy. You just gotta, you just gotta push through it. Hang in there. Am I your wife in labor or something? Is, <laughs> is <laughs> what is, that's where gonna... we go? I don't know. I don't know. What can... <laughs> I, I could, we couldn't be, oh my goodness, I got my leg trapped under a boulder. We're waiting for rescue. Um, You'd be way too calm for that. <laughs> <laughs> just hang in there, Andy. Just hang in. It's okay. Hang, it's okay. You just got to have a little faith. Everything happens for a reason. Oh, man. I, I know if my, things... leg was, if my leg was trapped under a boulder, I have a feeling I'd probably react the same way your wife would during labor if you were saying that. <laughs> hey. I know things look grim now. We're from the next reel. It's that podcast you're listening to. Thanks for joining us, everybody. I'm Pete Wright. That there is Andrew Nelson. Idaho! Mr. Hinky. <laughs> I know he just came out of nowhere. Ow. Yeah. Oh, I know where he came from. <laughs> he came to listen to the show too. I love it. Uh, we spoil movies every single week, and uh, this week is uh, is like all the rest. Uh, you can find out more about us at thenextreel.com, where you can uh, check us out on the blog. You can read the blog stylings of one Steve Sarmento. Fantastic. Uh, and uh, you can join the conversation. In all of our assorted and sundry social channels, whatever you, whatever your preference for social engagement, we will be there. If we're not there, just let us know. We'll we'll find you there. We'll come. We'll join you. Uh, and uh, you know, I I think that's it. Do we have anything else to update the people? Oh, you know what? You can also check us out on uh, on Instagram. If you're not uh, friends with us on Instagram, you can follow uh, you can follow our our post there. Andy versus the people, and uh, you can also check out Letterboxed.com. Uh, for our watch list of 2014 films. You can see all the movies we're going to be talking about this year. Watch them ahead of time so you're ready to listen. That's the stuff, people. That's the stuff. Yes, indeed. Uh, All right. Let's jump into... Do we have any announcements for the people right now? I don't think we do. I don't think so. I think we're good. Let's do trailers. Let's. My trailer this week... You know, I'm trying to stay in, in, in theme with the films we're going to be talking about in this series, the found footage style films. I've been really scouring, trying to find some found footage style films that are going to be coming out soon. 
and uh, I wanted to talk about those trailers. So I've got one this week. I, I hope I'm hoping I'll be able to find one for all four of these shows. I'm not sure if there are that many found footage films coming out in the coming months. But for starters, I think I'm off to a good start. We've got Afflicted, which is a fun little found footage style film about two friends who uh, are going to take one of those you know great trips where they're going to travel the world for a full year and basically just see all sorts of countries and have all sorts of fun. Now, according to the trailer, which is, it, it's a really fun trailer. It actually, the whole thing essentially kind of plays backwards as you kind of see the results of what happens of this whole thing. And then yeah, it kind it's of very moves. clever. Very yeah, it's, clever. It's pretty fun. But, uh, and it gets, it looks like day one is where one of, one of these uh, best friends hooks up with a lady in a foreign land and she turns him into something. I don't know what, but he is definitely <laughs> afflicted, <laughs> just as the title says. And it looks like fun, though. I mean, these are guys, you know, they're kind of, uh, uh, you know, young, athletic sorts of guys, and they're running around with GoPros strapped onto their bodies and everything. And once uh, he's afflicted, I mean, we see him, you know, he's getting, like, superhuman strength. He jumps out of a, a window from... You know, very high and we see him as he's wearing this GoPro as he falls all the way ground and lands on the ground far below and then turns and looks at the people up above him jumping from building to building throwing people around it looks like a really interesting film and you know I admit I am one of those people who is a bit of a sucker for found footage films it, you know they I think that people can do some really interesting things with them they don't always but they can <laughs> Are you are you pre-apologizing? <laughs> I'm pre-apologizing that this could suck. But right now, I think it looks pretty fun. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it actually won. Uh, what did it win? It, it won Best Picture at the uh, Fantastic Fest. Uh, was it just last year? Uh, Best Director and Best Screenplay also. So it's, uh, you know, I'd like to think that it's going to be pretty good. I'm excited about it. That's awesome. Yeah. I think it looks. I, the trailer is really compelling. I I count me in, especially after we're doing all this found footage stuff. Uh, I'm excited about it. Looks good. Yeah, and we'll be able to see it very soon because it is actually going to begin uh, streaming. It'll be well. It'll be on uh, VOD and theaters all April fourth. So just about a week after the show. Nice, yeah. nice. I love it. Yes, indeedy. Okay, my turn. Go for it. Uh, okay. I I don't know what to make of this. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I here's the thing. I I'm doing the Maze Runner this week. The mm -hmm. uh, Maze Runner is uh, uh, directed by uh, Wes Ball, uh, written by James Dasher and Grant Pierce Myers. Uh, Wes Ball, uh, we know he's spent a lot of time in uh, art. Uh, in the art department, he's done a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of short films and things like that. In terms of of feature direction, I think this is it. Yeah, uh, spent a lot of time in visual effects, um, a lot of shorts and TV movies, that sort of a thing. Yeah, uh, but it, we we don't know much of him as a feature writer and director. Uh, so West Ball, the Maze Runner to me looks. And this is why it's appealing. It looks like it's a cross between Cube, which I deeply love, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, Hunger Games, right? Which you know, I've I've it's an acquired taste. I've grown to appreciate what it is. 
Uh, where these boys in a post-apocalyptic world, cue the post-apocalyptic world, uh, <laughs> boys are thrown into a, um, a community uh, after having their memory erased, and uh, they're all trapped in a mysterious maze. They just wake up. They don't know where they're, uh, how they got there. They don't know, uh, you know, don't know where they go, where they're from. They don't know where they're going. <laughs> and uh, they have to uh, be thrown into this maze and run the maze in order to try to escape. Right. I like mazes, and I feel like there is enough sort of spiritual DNA of two movies that I do like that I'm willing to give this a shot. Now, why am I, why am I hedging? Because the trailer doesn't look that great. Like, it just doesn't look that great. And I feel like there are a lot of people talking about this film, and I'm having trouble figuring out why. So this is my benefit of the doubt pick, um, where I, I feel like it has the seeds of, a, of an interesting idea, and uh, I'm going to give it a shot. West Ball, James Dashner. You know who's in it? Dylan O'Brien. This is the—I um, uh, gather he's going to be the hunk of 2015— um, he, we know Dylan O'Brien, if you are a big fan of Teen Wolf, mm. he plays Styles on Teen Wolf. He was in the internship, uh, which, um, I'm sure you Poor stood, in, stood in line for <laughs> <laughs> three times. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a win. Um, and, uh, so, you know, he's done his share of paid placement movies <laughs> and, uh, and hunky, uh, CW films or shows so that's it it comes out september uh 19th 2014 the usa uh and so i don't know keep an eye out for this one it may be an interesting uh, watch is it a series of books your kids have gotten into at all nope not at all yet you your are you is your wife none of us have no but i guess it's a trilogy they've got uh the maze runner uh and then the scorch trials and the death cure as the three books, Ugh. plus well, a prequel, The Kill Order. The Kill Order is, yeah, that's right, that's right. So, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what to make of it, but I, I feel like it's, it's another one of those that you know I haven't seen it, but I've probably seen it. Yeah, it, it does feel that way a little bit. I, there's something compelling, and maybe it's just the, the maze. You know, just there's something that seems kind of <laughs> Look, fun it's about something different. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I kind of like the idea, and and I think what compelled me when I saw the trailer was that cube aspect that you were talking about, because the cube definitely was a really uh, fascinating sci-fi, and the, the whole concept of that really won me over, even if the it fell apart at the end, but. Uh, is a lot of fun. And this definitely has that sort of feel like, why are these boys thrown into this giant maze that they have to try to get out? Yeah. What's yeah. the reason? And so, it, it, yeah, it definitely piques my curiosity. I'll be curious to see, you know, what, what the, the, the vibe of the YA world is by the time uh, September rolls around. Is this going to be a, the next Divergent or Hunger yeah. Games, or is this going to be the next... Uh, I don't know. One of those ones that didn't make it. <laughs> the next anything, anything else. Mortal Bones. Mortal, Mortal City of Bones. Mortal Instruments. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I'm with you. September 19th. Mark your calendars or nah, don't. Or not. <laughs> Let's get quarantined. Ready? Okay. Hi, I'm Angela Vidal. We're in Los Angeles traveling along with the fire department. Is that so bad? These are the men you'll be shadowing tonight. Wherever they go, you go too. Police are here. It might be a little more serious than we thought. A woman was screaming bloody murder that there. 
fire department's about to begin the rescue process. Police say that she lives alone. She's not very sober. Okay, okay. We're gonna get you some medical help, okay? This is it. New series. I know. I know. No Tom Hanks in this one. Although. Oh, yeah. This, this, you know, I'll bet you this, have some follow-up, don't you? As, as a quick side note, follow-up to our last uh, episode and series, I did get a little geeky in my spare time, just, you know, alone with myself in the evening. <laughs> yeah, it's just Mitch. Uh, <laughs> I, just like uh, when we were doing Close Encounters, I did the Steven Spielberg's Cost Per Finish Minute over on our uh, the movie cost per minute breakdown that you can find over on our website. But I have now done a Tom Hanks cost per finished minute. That's right. You can look at all of his films, all 43, and uh, you can kind of look and see where they rank. Now, some of them you know, have no financial information. Basically, 33 to 43 don't have a lot of info. And I really left things out where he's just like, you know, comes in for a scene or things like that. It's really just kind of um, the big ones. It does start from He Knows You're Alone, goes all the way through uh, his most recent one, <laughs> Saving Mr. Banks. Saving Mr. Private Ryan Banks. <laughs> hey, wh- so what's the what's the lowdown? Give me, give me your lessons learned. What are the highlights? What are the lowlights? Well, uh, Forrest Gump, which is definitely one of the top grossing films that uh, we've talked about on the show, uh, is not the number one film on his list. Any guess as to what the number of, what number one film would be? Um, highest highest grossing per finished minute. I don't know. You're gonna say it's something. Let like... me just say it's a lot shorter than Forrest Gump. <laughs> Forrest Gump's running time did not help it out. Man, it, I, I don't uh, even know. Pretty recent. It's Toy Story three. Oh. Toy Story 3 is number one. Forrest Gump is number two. Number three is Toy Story. And number four is Toy Story 2. So those Toy Story movies know how to make a buck. They sure do. Good old Pixar. And then number five, this this surprise. The Man with me. One Red Shoe. Man, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Number five is The Da Vinci Code. Well, that doesn't surprise me, actually. It surprises me. I guess maybe it's just because people seemed kind of like, I mean, I know Dan Brown's books are very popular, but for some reason, the movies seemed to take a lot of flack because Tom Hanks had really long hair and, 
you know, that nun protested the filming, and it just seemed like a lot of people were upset about them making this, even though the book had been around for a while beforehand. But yeah, I guess, you know, it just did really well. So it uh, it definitely raked in the dough. It had the guilty curiosity vibe going for it. Like even people yeah, who didn't sure. like it went to see it because you have to. And that's a film. It made a lot more um, internationally than domestically. I mean, normally it's, you know, it's kind of close. You can kind of see like, you know, Forrest Gump, 329 million uh, domestically, internationally 349 million. Um, but Da Vinci Code was 217 million domestically and 550 million internationally. Wow. So uh, it did quite a bit uh, overseas business. Wow. Which must be why they made a second one and why they're making why a third one. Why they're third. making a third one. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if he'll have so. the long hair again. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but but okay. there's, there's only a few films that uh, have lost money that I found. Uh, Joe vs. Volcano, which we've talked about on the show. Yep. Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, which kind of surprised me being the big Oscar nominee that it was. Um, but I guess it just didn't connect with people. Um, it didn't even Fred, connect with us. I mean, like, we connect with a lot, and it didn't connect with us. I, you know, I like it okay. It's it, I like Tom Hanks in it. I like yeah. the conceit of the story, even if I found it rather problematic. But, yeah, it's all right. I, I didn't think it was a money loser. That kind of surprised me a little bit. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Bonfire of the Vanities, yeah. which is really, oh, well, I guess, that no was, surprise. Yeah, not a surprise. Yeah, and then Radio Flyer was uh, the biggest loser on his list. And that's an uncredited part, but it's big enough where I figured I'd include it. All right. So. All right, yeah. good list. Yeah, so if you want to check it out, you can uh, go over to our website and uh, click on the link to see the, uh, the movie cost per minute breakdown. Did we have any other follow-up while we're following up? Yeah, one last thing. Uh, last week on the League of Their Own episode, I did mention that Gina Davis does have an Institute on Gender in Media, a nonprofit that she started to try to get uh, more people paying attention to writing roles and creating opportunities for women to, or uh, for young girls to to see roles where women aren't just you know uh, models in bikinis and all that, but actually, uh, like it says on the website, if she can see it, she can be it. So trying to create. Um, more, uh, just more balance in the media. And I forgot to mention the website, which is cjane.org. That's S-E-E-J-A-N-E.org. And you can find the link over on our show notes for the League of Their Own episode. Outstanding. Yes, indeed. All right, then. Now, can we talk about found footage films? Now, let's let's finally get to what we're here to talk Oof. about. I'm telling I, you. I hear you. Uh, so we're starting this series on found footage films, and um, the the first film we're doing is Quarantine. Yes. Which uh, was, came out in 2008. It was a uh, remake of the... Well, it's not a remake. It's based on... Well, it's, oh, pretty, it's pretty, pretty much, much a remade. Pretty much a shot-for-shot uh, shot remake. shot-for-shot remake on a set-for-set. Set. I mean, it's really, really close to the Spanish film Rec, R-E-C, uh, and, um, you know, really, really close to that film. Yes. Did, uh, you, see, did you end up seeing Wreck? No, I haven't seen Wreck. Okay. Uh, but, but, but I've, you know, I've seen it. Yeah. Well, you know, what I've heard is it's not as good. It's, it's close, but it's not as good as the remake. Well, let's, we'll talk about that because I think there's more to talk about as far as that. I, I think it actually is very good. And I, I would say that they're very comparable films. Um, but let's let's get into that a little yeah. later in the show. Uh, but 
Well, first, first going to say, I, yeah, yeah, I want to talk about found footage um, yes. because found footage is, you know, I, I don't want to say it's necessarily a recent kind of uh, invention. It's pretty, pretty recent. I mean, we're talking about, um, yeah, and I started reading about this. Did, did, have you seen Punishment Park? You know, I looking researching found footage. Uh, you know, Punishment Park and Cannibal Holocaust, the two, like what some people say are kind of the. Yeah foundations for it i haven't seen them but i now have them right at the top of my netflix queue so i'm hoping to see them uh maybe not before the next episode but maybe after that maybe by the time we get to chronicle yeah yeah i i wonder i so this idea of found footage let's walk through just what are the conceits of found footage what makes it a found footage film yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting, it's hard to say it's a genre. I mean, if anything, it's a, a style of making a film. It works really well in horror, in the horror genres. Um, and in a way, it's kind of has become a subgenre of its own. The idea is that somebody has kind of walked into uh, a situation where they've found a tape or found a reel of film or you know something that they have then gone and watched, and now they have an opportunity to see a, basically a story that has happened. Somebody before that person found this found footage, this found tape, actually had was in a situation. They happened to kind of be filming the entire situation, and um, ended up dying, disappearing, dropping the camera, whatever it is, whatever the conceit is, and then this person found it. Um, as you know, it, it, it is often used in horror movies because it's very easy to kind of pick people off. Eventually, kind of the cameraman gets killed too, leaving behind that camera that's just sitting there. Batteries die, somebody finds it later, or the film runs out, whatever it is. And, I, I mean, that's really the conceit. It's just somebody setting up their own camera. We happen to now later be watching the footage of what happened at that time yeah and i and i think it's a so it's it's sort of a um an offshoot or kind of a, a marriage of sort of this this stylized documentary uh uh film this, this sort of fictionalized documentary and that's right. that's what uh punishment park is uh, based on this sort of uh, fake uh, insurrection uh, camp for insurrectionists, where the mm-hmm. the state comes down and and um, you know makes these people run across the desert and ends up shooting them anyway, and and so it's a it's a documentary crew that was very much a documentary crew, but it's a fake documentary, and that's what right. it, it sort of has the style of. I think the in in order you know once we got into the Blair Witch Project um, and the films that came after. Much you know, like um, you know, Paranormal Activity and Wreck and and Quarantine and and other films we're going to be talking about in this series, you end up with like you say this this uh, you know the protagonist is probably going to die, mm-hmm. uh, and that that's one of those things that makes it a makes it you're going to get the the attachment that you're going to experience is is going to be betrayed, uh, right? And, and so that's a part of it, um, uh, and the Jiggly Monkey returns. <laughs> yes, back to lots of shaky cam. Wow, the shaky cam. Yes. Uh, so with that, here we are with quarantine. Um, quarantine uh, stars the uh, fantastic Jennifer Carpenter, uh, who we know Jennifer Carpenter. She's uh, she's done uh, a lot of stuff. Mostly, what I know her as is uh, Dexter, yeah. um, and I believe she was she's the sister. Uh, sister wife 
of uh, Dexter. I believe she's married to yeah, she's married to Michael C. Hall. Yeah, which is uh, kind of weird. <laughs> played played his sister on the show, uh, which Something is a little, a little bit weird. Yeah. Uh, but uh, she's fantastic on that show, and so this was an. It, I I discovered this movie after I had uh, seen her for many years on on Dexter, um, and uh, let's see what else did we? Uh, I lost my tab. So this film she, was, it she was, was in. Well, oh no, she was also in the Exorcism of Emily Rose. That's right. That's right. Another little, uh, you know, kind of a, a fun little horror uh, thing, and then um, the strangest thing on her list. Look at uh, when you look at all these different things that she's in, lots of movies and TV and stuff. It, it, Pound Puppies, the TV show, which I had no idea she's one of the puppies, and so I'll, <laughs> I'll have to listen next time my daughter is watching Pound Puppies. Listen for Pepper. That's funny. <laughs> I uh, so she this this film was directed uh, and conceived of by uh, John Eric Dowdle. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say conceived of, uh, yeah. considering it's a remake. But yeah, uh, right, right. John Eric Dowdle. And he his conceived brother, of the idea to remake. To remake. John Eric Dowdle and his brother Drew Dowdle uh, wrote this script based on the movie uh, Wreck by Jaime yeah. Balagueró, Luiso Berdejo, and Paco Plaza. Yes. And then John John Eric directed it, and Drew I think was uh, an executive producer on it, I believe. Yes. Uh, all right. So quarantine. First of all, I, I think we can agree it lives up to its uh, to its title as a found footage film. I think it does. We have a cameraman. In this case, it's a news cameraman, TV uh, reporter, and her cameraman who are in this building filming what we think is going to be. Uh, an evening following the fire department around to get a news story, uh, kind of a night in the life of a fireman. Which is a really, that's a lame job. Well, I'll tell you something. The thing that that struck me when I saw this is, um, I don't know if you saw the documentary 9-11, but it was a really haunting, powerful documentary by some French filmmakers, I believe, who actually were making a documentary following firemen around in New York City. And oddly enough, they were there filming these guys when, when, 9/11, this, happened. when 9-11 happened. And it ended up becoming a totally different documentary. And it's really haunting as these guys were following the firemen around through 9-11. It's, it is truly wow. one of the most haunting documentaries you could watch. It's just so right there. And the fact that they were filming it all is, is just, it, it kind of shakes you, especially because the two brothers are following two different units, and the two brother filmmakers, and they don't know if the other brother is alive or not. So oh my gosh. It's, a, it's a really heavy documentary, but I definitely recommend everyone watch it. But because of that, I totally bought into the conceit for this. Oh, and and I would say I, I'm not saying that I I don't buy into the conceit only because as a you know as a reporter I've done those things and it's really lame it's a it's a horrible <laughs> lame stupid thing uh, right. when you have to take those assignments and and so you know I imagine uh, anyway so she finds a story uh, yeah. you know what I like so I here's what I like about that speaking of of kind of experience as a reporter she actually does a really uh, solid job of uh, of playing the uh, playing the role I you know she kind of has that sort of um, that that kind of energetic kind of newbie frustrated that there's nothing more exciting happening you know careful what you wish for sort of style and um, you know real um, 
kind of uh, has no real understanding of who she's talking to, right? I mean, there's there's just a real style difference between the fireman and her. She's she is she just seems so inexperienced, uh, and and I think she plays it really really well um, and uh, interacts with the fireman in a really interesting way. Yes, absolutely. Uh, now, the role of her, uh, her cameraman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is, uh, Scott, uh, he's played by Steve Harris and, and I would, I, you know, I wonder if they talk about the role of the cameraman in these found footage films. Well, yeah, I mean, inevitably the, the cameraman is in a weird way, kind of becomes a thankless role because it's, it's an actor who needs to not ever be seen for the most part. Right. And I imagine as an actor, I don't know, I guess they're, there can be something compelling about that, but there's also in that egotistical way of, of, you know, being an actor where it's like, well, I don't want to do it if I'm not going to be on screen, you know? Right. But I think for, there are people who do, who are drawn to that. And so the nature of the cameraman is it's a character who's, who's there, who is operating the camera and who has to be interacting with the scene. And the thing that happens in any found footage film is you are no longer a camera that is essentially uh, present but not present, which is really the case in every film that you watch except for found footage films where, you know, the actors can be having a completely intimate conversation. Uh, Like two actors could have an intimate scene. The camera can be right up next to their faces, but they will not be any the wiser that there's an entire audience around the world watching this moment. It's really just those two people. The camera is essentially invisible. Once you go into the world of found footage, that cameraman and the camera are there and they are in every scene interacting and uh, a part of the scenes. And as we see in this film, the cameraman actually has to really step in and become, um, in, in a way, it's like we become a tool to actually kill something. You know, I mean, the cameraman takes his camera and beats something, uh, one of these uh, creature people's faces in. Yes. And I, I think that's the big difference between regular films and found footage films is the fact that this character is there. They are present. The camera is present. And they have to act and interact with everything that's going on around them, just like the actors are, or the main, the other main characters that they're filming. Now, Steve Harris uh, is an actor we, we I, I love this guy. I really do love this guy. He's a fantastic. Um, he's a fantastic actor. We know him from uh, as playing uh, Eugene Young on The Practice for many years, um, and he has a fantastic voice. Yeah, uh, and it's not just his his you know his kind of range, right? He's got a beautiful sort of buttery kind of deep voice, but um, but it's his you know the way the mechanics of his mouth are such that he is he is in a, just like right on the verge of of stepping into this sort of classical tone you know and mm-hmm. and he is just he sounds so sophisticated and uh and and the way his character plays off of uh hers is in in such a uh, sort of paternal and um sort of caring gentle but you know voice of strength and i think that mm-hmm. that really adds to the role of the cameraman in this film yeah, and you know, something else that I think is apparent looking at a film like this versus like our next film that we're going to be talking about, Cloverfield, 
is uh, the skill set of that person who's operating the camera. Yes. Yes, in either case, there's still going to be shaky cam. But I think in context of the story, um, Steve Harris's character, Scott, is a professional TV cameraman. Uh, he knows how to at least hold a camera and operate it. So even though he's running around filming everything, it, it does have a more of a sense of stability, even than when, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, Angela's, Angela, uh, Jennifer Carpenter's character, takes over the camera later in the film. She's a lot more shaky. She doesn't know how to use it clearly as well as he did. And that's something like the next film, Cloverfield. I mean, that's just a guy who's handed a camera, and he clearly has no sense what he's doing with the camera. Absolutely. So, I, so there is definitely a line that that character, that actor, uh, well, has to play when they're holding the camera. That's another you know thing about the nature of these films is often that actor is not physically holding the camera. You've got a camera operator holding the camera or the DP. Um, and usually it's a much bigger rig. It's got wires yeah. off of it. It's got all sorts of stuff going on. And the actor, Steve Harris, is standing nearby. He's like right next to it. Right, right. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, there there is a... I, I think you're right to compare that particularly to Cloverfield, the next, you know, as we, we talk about that, the level of sophistication that they bring to that role. Um, and, um, you know, it feels like a much more natural presence to have a camera on. Like there is no, there's, there is, um, there is from time to time a public safety question about the camera, which seems very real to me. Like it seems very natural that the police and the fire, you know, representatives of the fire department would say, you know, don't film this, don't film this. And so yeah. there's enough of that. Uh, and, and there are sequences where they, they call into question that, you know, that element of, um, you know, the omniscient cameraman, you know, where mm. they say, don't, don't film this. So they hold the camera down and there we are looking at somebody's butt um, during an, an important conversation. Right. Uh, you know, so it, it lends to that sense of, of kind of reality that they're trying to, to convey. I think yeah. there's a, there is a risk that shows up during in the, the third act as things get really frenetic. Uh, and that is that the film falls into first person shooter mode. Do you know <laughs> what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially once the, the lights go out, it yes. becomes so much harder to see things that it really is like that one vision, uh, the, the one window that we're looking into this, uh, the, the complex through because the lights on the camera, it really becomes that first person runner. And they have to design it in such a way where in order to see this person jumping out at you, you kind of have to move over a little bit and then ah, they jump out and you do get a little bit of that toward the end. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a conceit. You know, the thing about found footage films is it is a conceit that they have to set up well, I feel, in the beginning. Not just kind of the first act leading up to kind of the inciting incident that really sets things off, but also um, once things are set off, you really have to get a sense as to the reason why the camera is still rolling. You know, and I, I feel like that's always a struggle with found footage films is like, why are we still filming this? You know, is there a reason for the camera to still be on? And I feel like this one does it pretty well. I, I feel the conceit that Jennifer, uh, her character, Angela, sells on, you know, people need to know what happened here. That You know, they've locked us in. There's a disease. They won't let us talk to anybody. We're going to document this uh, to show. It, it's really like gathering evidence in a way. And I think that that works really well. And it does lead to, like, toward the third act, aside from the first-person shooter mode, it's why don't you just put the camera down so you have free hands and you can, you know, operate more effectively. 
okay, sure, you've got a light on the camera. Okay, I can buy into that. But still, it's it's always that balance of, you know, where is the logic in, yeah. in the reasoning there? And I think as long as they set up everything in the beginning well, I will buy into it through to the end. And yes, even though it does turn into that first-person shooter mode toward the end, I still, for the most part, buy into this one. I, I don't I don't think it falls into anything that 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 you know slips from me going eh, i don't really i'm not in this anymore well i and and i don't want to say that this is that's one of those things that shakes it for me because i i think you're absolutely right and i i really like the um the the setup i know that there is no point in this uh you know if you're a reporter with a cameraman and they have a working camera in an event like this you will leave it running right yeah, you will absolutely. always leave it running um you know that they didn't have to stop and change tapes might be a question but i'm not gonna go i'm not gonna go there because that would be doing too much that i do and you would get (laughs) mad at me uh but uh, you know i i think that that that, that's part of the reason that the that the first person shooter mode kind of starts to bug me because i feel like the setup was so strong and they didn't necessarily have to go there and it's only they only go there for a little while right yeah it's it's very short it's very short and it's it is jarring i think visually to go there and then they i i think they successfully pull out visually and and uh you know you it regains some sense of control in the in in spite of kind of the frenetic freneticness of the the horror that's going on around them yeah um so let's talk a little bit about the story because this is that that's actually the you know uh, the the place where i have a challenge and so i want can you set up the the story for us yeah i mean like i said you know they're they're filming a a group of firefighters um while they are just kind of hanging around the fire station waiting to for a call um a call comes in they join these two firefighters uh, uh jake and george uh, played by jay hernandez and jonathan sheck and uh, they go to this building where uh, they people have reported that this this lady has kind of gone crazy, locked herself into a room. They go inside and they see this lady who looks, you know, I mean, if I saw this lady, I would lock the door and, you know, call the police because she looks like she's just killed someone. But they uh, the police to, are already there. Call the fire right, department. Right, exactly. The police <laughs> are already there. So what do you do? Uh, you go in until and somebody gets uh, somebody gets call the mayor. But basically, once they get inside this building and they realize there's a problem, as they try to leave, all of a sudden there were you know other cops and and people coming up behind them who have orders to basically quarantine this building because there is a report that something from this building, um, they have found a disease and they it, they've traced it to this building basically and they've quarantined it. They won't let anyone in or out. And now these people in, trapped inside, the uh, tenants of the apartment complex, the uh, police officer, the two firefighters, and the, the reporters now have to figure out what the hell they're going to do now that they're stuck in here with these people that are clearly diseased. And as it turns out, it's a, it's a terrible form of rabies that they basically are, are catching, which uh, progresses very quickly, turns them very violent. And uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's in a way, it's kind of, it reminds me once they are infected, it reminds me of rage from uh, 28 days later. Right, right. Yeah, and that's uh, okay. So that's what we have, and so the, the the threat is this sort of mutated, weaponized kind of rabies virus, um, and it's uh, it, it catches very quickly. And there are some really wonderful bits of 
horror. Uh, and not the not the I'm running into you, chasing you kind of a thing. And there there's a lot of that where there's the you know there's a single light and mm. it just kind of comes up on a face down the hall or you know or somebody standing down the hall, you know, not moving. And then when the light hits them, they go into that shock rage mode and they run right into the camera. And so you get a lot of those little jolts and they they work well for me. I I didn't find myself like not haunted by or not, you know, jumping at the appropriate places. I really, you know, and I you know, I don't usually like the horror stuff. And and this one I I do. I like this very much just in terms of that experience. But I think the the most horrific moments are um you know, are the more subtle ones uh when the woman is sitting in the corner at the end and uh she says, "No, no, I haven't been bit." And then they cut back to her and she's chewing off her own fingers right uh is just i mean that makes my skin crawl the the little yeah. girl oh she only has a fever she only has a fever and then she attacks her mother that is right. that makes my skin crawl um you know there are those moments that i think are really effective um you know i even just some of the jump moments i mean i i swear even after watching this i don't know how many times I still jump when out of nowhere the firefighter drops from like the third story and just like crashes yeah. onto the ground floor. It's like, oh man, I just forgot that that was going to happen. I mean, yeah. it, it makes me jump every time. Totally. And and you know, they do those uh, some of the those bits really well where they set up the um you know the the conceit of the scene is you know they've they've got a, ha- a camera and they're hiding in the vent or something you know peering right. into the room and they're trying to be quiet and yet they see a body that they thought was dead reanimates and it's about to attack the CD- CDC agent and they they scream just too late mm-hmm. before the agent gets eaten so that that I think was really well the problem that I have with it is it comes at the end right it's the discovery can you so that they. This is what I see happen, and you tell me where I fall apart. And I've seen this movie several times. I like it. I enjoy it. The end throws me every time. So they're told, the cameraman and the, you know, the the remaining band of, of you know, survivors, mm-hmm. uh, they, they have the collective kind of discovery that there's a way out if they get to the basement. They can get to a, a you know, a manhole where she'll take them to the water supply, the sewer they can get out. And so they try to make their way down there, but they can't because it's overrun by rabid apartment dwellers. Right. So they go up. Right. And they go up to the top floor apartment, right? Right. Right so far? And in that apartment, they discover out of nowhere, right, they introduce the doomsday cult. Right. And it turns out that the member of the Doomsday Cult who owned that apartment uh, had stolen this, you know, mutated rabies virus and that they were and and that's how it infected. Uh, There are a whole bunch of animals up there. It infected a dog and that's how it got out. Right. That's what we're supposed to. That's how we believe it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he stole it. I I was under the impression that, you know, he was developing it with all those rats and just he was, you know, kind of this crazy man who you know kind of locked himself into his room and was trying to come up with some virus to basically destroy humanity and was okay. playing with doing it with rats and one of the rats got out rat infected the dog dog got infected infected people okay cetera, cetera. and so at one point scott and angela scott uh looks up in this uh, there's a hatch that opens in the ceiling and he looks up in there and there's crazy boy up in the up in right. the crawl space yeah. I'm not sure if we're supposed to have any connection to him. 
Uh, and then as they come down, they realize there's uh, there's a, somebody else in this apartment, and he's uh, it's like uh, he's just wearing underwear and wandering around in the dark. Uh, catches Scott, eats him. Catches Angela. We see her getting dragged off in the light. Is was that the apartment dweller? Yes. And he was up there this whole time in the dark. He was. Just hanging out with his rats. Yep. Now he's uh, he was already rabid. He, I, you know, I don't know if he's rabid. I mean, he doesn't strike me as rabid. I, I mean, I think there's clearly something wrong with him. Maybe he's rabid, but he does. He's not acting the same way that these other people are. But he's clearly infected with something. There's right. something wrong with him. This is where it falls apart for me, and it's it's just these last like few minutes, and I think they're very intense, and it's really great, and it gives you that sort of, um, you know, Clarice in the basement, uh, you know, against the guy with the head with the night vision goggles and puts right. the lotion in the basket kind of thing, uh, and I like that vibe. It was very cool, um, but I don't. It, it felt like it was tacked on at the end to explain something that had been going on that didn't need explaining. And I think it was it was one of those bridge too far moments where they introduced this concept that now expected me to parse. And once I started to think about it and try to catch all the headlines on the newspapers and everything, um, you know, I, uh, I, I took me right out of the film. Hmm. It took me right out of the film, and I felt like it was so well set up before because we already had the veterinarian who was vouching for all of the rabies stuff, and like I bought it. I didn't. I didn't need it. As soon as they asked me to think too hard about it, I I, I felt like uh, I didn't get it. So, is there a thread that I miss? This is my big question. Is there a thread of clues that I missed in the beginning of the film, in the first and second acts, where I should have been set up? To so that when I saw the doomsday cult stuff, uh, it would all make sense. I don't think there's anything that's set up that would satisfactorily um, uh, give you the answer that you're looking for. I mean, they do mention um, when they're going through all the people who live in the building, when they're going floor by floor so they can kind of keep tabs on everybody. And they kind of hint at the the guy up on the in the attic uh, or the fifth floor of the apartment this oh yeah but he's he's off in boston or he's out of town or something like that so they set us up that there is a guy who lives up there we haven't seen him for a long time so that's pretty much all we have cuz then instantly they go from that to oh but what about the the immigrant couple's father he's sick up in bed it kind of trying to throw you know throw a red herring in there making you think that it's somebody else right um, but that's it. I mean, that's really the only setup that we have. And I guess the reason it works for me is because it's all done. So, um, you don't get all of the details. You get little flashes of details. So you get a sense, okay, I can see that this guy, there's clearly something going on with him doing, you know, some experiment with rabies. He wants to kind of, you know, destroy the world with this disease, et cetera, et cetera. And somehow it went, awry and his disease got out and is now killing everybody he has no idea and these people come into his place and and he kills them now why is there that little boy up there i couldn't tell you how does this guy go shop for groceries i couldn't tell you 
there are definitely problems. Like when you start breaking it down, that that it just doesn't really work. But but do and, you see what I mean, though? I mean, do, yeah. Okay, well, you yeah. finish your no, thing because I really, no. I mean, this I have questions for you. Well, no, uh, the, I'm finished. I, I do want to use that though to leapfrog back to wreck from the beginning of our conversation. Okay. So, but but ask me your questions, and then we'll do the leap. Well, so my question is this: first of all, um, it, it, you discover the rabid kid, and you discover the guy in his box or in his briefs upstairs hanging around at night because of what you've already seen in this film, and the, and you've already given over to the fact that this is a uh, this is a, a virus gone crazy. If you had not included all of the you know all of the extra kind of answers to the questions that we never asked about the doomsday cult stuff. Would that have been less of a movie for you? Like, and the guy wouldn't even be up there? No, say there's the, say the guy's up there. Couldn't he just have been the guy who is, you know, rabid in the apartment upstairs, maybe? I don't know. I, I feel like it'd be really, I, 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 it would make me ask more questions. Like, why was this guy just sitting up there and nobody heard any noises, nobody knew anything? At least by because they're throwing me these clues, I'm, I can kind of piece together, oh, okay, this is why he's up there, this is why he's a recluse, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I think the, the more I think about it, the less I find that it completely works because, you know, I mean, it does leave things rather vaguely put out there. Um, I think if those if it didn't have those other clues, though, I don't think it would be enough. Uh, the Well, here's the thing. I think what I would assume is that, OK, maybe this is a guy who caught it first and he just hasn't gotten out of his apartment. So he's just like in a really bad state of this disease. Yeah. And, and you know, I I would vastly prefer that assumption because and, and this is the thing, right? As soon as you bring up the doomsday cult, it makes me want to see that movie. Yeah. Right? That's a different movie. A doomsday cult is a loaded thing, and it's specific, uh, and it's it's something that, you know, we're we're now suddenly seeing an epilogue for a film that was already, or that should have been made, and when I think this film really stands on its own without all that sort of garbage. But I, from a screenwriting perspective, right, I mean, when is too much character background too much? I mean, when is character background too much? Uh, like, it feels to me like these guys are have had sort of felt like they had written themselves in a hole and were trying to piece together all these threads that they they perceived they had left out there uh when i i don't think that they did well i think that's the nature of you know some a lot of a lot of horror movies is you know you set up a situation where there is this disease that's destroying this building how did it get there why is it there uh, aside from just a rabid dog i i don't know i feel like People want to kind of, uh, you know, you want to have kind of this bigger, bigger answer. And by doing it this way, I don't know, I, I think it makes it a little more intriguing. Like, okay, so it's not just a rabid dog that happened to give somebody this really horrible strain of rabies and now the whole building's being infected. But there's some, something much more nefarious going on. And in the context of a horror movie, that may be the reason to do something like that. I mean, maybe it doesn't work. Maybe it's not something that needed to be there. I think you're right. In the context of um, structuring a script, you could just get away with probably just making it rabies. I mean, you know, Cujo does that just fine. Um, but when it's when it's something like this where where the story keeps getting funneled 
more and more narrowly down this this hole of you know this the you know, first you're outside then you're trapped in the building then you're you know just keeps getting more and more narrow as far as you know kind of then then less and less people are alive um, you're getting pressed as far as which rooms you can occupy and pretty soon you're pinned and the only way you can go is into this penthouse suite and once you're there it's completely dark and then there's a crazy boy and a crazy man and you know I can see the way that it's kind of everything is getting squeezed and giving a little answer once you're in that point I I think can help maybe this wasn't the answer well I, I guess I have I, I, my sort of and and I really want to talk about the the comparison to Wreck because I know that uh, Jaume Balaguero is is was not pleased. Uh, but the um, the the thing about this one for me is that it feels like if they're going to go down this road of the Doomsday Cult, they didn't give me enough up front to let me start to piece that puzzle together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really feel like this film uh, was strong enough up front that it didn't actually need it anyway. Yeah. So. All right, talk about Wreck. Well, I, the the ending of Wreck, this whole part that you're talking about, once they get into that penthouse suite, that's where it's um, it's actually essentially built the same as far as all everything that's happening, but the all of the 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 doomsday stuff, it's all switched, it's all different. Now I. I don't recall. I think in Wreck, it's really the same. I mean, honestly, it feels like um, like Gus Van Sant's Psycho remake to a certain extent. It feels just so shot by shot, um, although this one does have some more fun set pieces, you know, like when you're throwing the people off the balcony and stuff like that. I, I, I found that this one had a little more of that energy, which was nice. Um, Wreck, though, though, does have a great in kind of just furious intensity. It's only 78 minutes long, and it builds to that much quicker once you get to the penthouse. But once you get to the penthouse, let me just read this. This is the the synopsis from Wikipedia for that last scene, um, just so you can get a sense as to what the difference is and see if you think that this would work any better for you. Okay. <clears throat> They then search. Oh, okay, so it's it's Angela, it's Angela, and uh, what is the guy's name? It's uh, Pablo, I believe. Yeah, so Angela and Pablo. They then search the penthouse and discover that its owner was an agent of the Vatican, who is charged with researching and isolating a suspected virus believed to be the biological cause of demonic possession, which was later confirmed to exist in a young girl named Tristana Medeiros, who was raped by a group of priests. The agent kidnapped and brought the girl to the penthouse to conduct his research and possibly cure her. During this time, the possession managed to mutate and become contagious. The agent decided to seal her off, presumably to let her die of starvation and dehydration. A door to the attic opens, and Pablo uses his camera to look inside. A boy jumps at the camera and breaks his light. Pablo turns on the night vision to see in the dark and discovers the sealed door referred to earlier by the agent on an audio tape. The agent abandons his efforts to cure the girl after failing to engineer a vaccine. Tristana, now a horribly emaciated figure, begins searching the penthouse, holding a hammer. Angela and Pablo try to escape, but Pablo trips and is viciously attacked with the hammer by Tristana, causing him to drop the camera. It starts getting very similar here. Angela picks it up and runs, only to fall and drop the camera as well. She searches for it in the dark, but is unable to find it. The camera continues to record as the cries and screams of the possessed Tristana Medeiros are heard on the tape recorder, and Angela is dragged into the darkness, screaming. So 
it really is the exact same thing. It's just instead of this this kind of doomsday cult trying to create this rabies virus to destroy humanity, this is a priest who has basically gone to this place with this girl, this possessed girl who had been raped by priests and they believed to be demonically possessed. Um, he couldn't cure her, so he locked her into this room and sealed it off, and these two... Uh, unwittingly let her out, and she is the one who kills them. Now, this demonic possession is essentially what is kind of going around infecting everybody. I'm not quite sure how it gets out. I can't remember, but somehow it is the dog still that um, that gets out, and there's rats and everything. But I don't know. Is that something that works any better for you, or is that equally as perplexing? Well, no. I'm. You know, it. It's one of those things. I. I like it. I like the idea of it. I like the con- the concept. I, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I may prefer it to just the rabies excuse because it's it at least gives us a twist on uh, disease. And uh, I like that it's, I like the religious angle. But I don't think just changing the ending would solve for me the problem of no. introducing too much you know, uh, story wrap up when, if, if the first two acts don't, uh, you know, don't give me enough of a, uh, of a hint that this is something I should look for. And, you know, obviously I haven't seen it, but, uh, what's your sense on that front? Do you feel like this, like wreck actually gives you a more complete, uh, story in that? Not at all. I mean, I, I felt when I watched wreck, I saw quarantine first and I think for a lot of people, they found quarantine first. And then because of, the remake uh, it actually helped elevate wreck into a place where sure. people were not then discovering it um so i saw wreck much later um i definitely enjoyed wreck just as much as i enjoyed quarantine i do enjoy the difference at the ending in this story uh um or the differences between the two stories i i don't i think that they both are interesting and compelling in their own ways but i think like you're pointing out i mean yeah it doesn't really it, it's never built to something that uh, you're expecting. There's not a, um, there's no clues to help you kind of piece that puzzle together. And it does strike me as interesting. Uh, and I think the reason a lot of people kind of dislike quarantine and they say wreck is the better film. That's the one to watch is because it really is a shot for shot remake. I mean, it, so much of it is done um, so straightforward. Let's just do it exactly the same. Let's do the scene exactly the same. Let's do these shots exactly the same. Um, that if there's a script that has some inherent problems, like wreck with this ending. Yeah, it was inherited. Maybe the, fil- maybe the filmmakers should have looked at that and the problems with that ending and said, instead of doing a shot for shot remake and yes, we're twisting, we're changing it or up and it's not, you know, this demonically possessed um, girl up there, but now it's this guy who's been doing rabies research. Um, Instead of that, uh, just kind of creating their own version of it, maybe we should find a new way to write the ending so it does fit more. Or maybe we rewrite some of the scenes in the beginning to build better into that. And so that, that probably is one of the things that is, I guess you could say, an inherent problem with quarantine is that the filmmakers and all the people involved didn't take the time to build it uh, or to bas- basically take the pieces and rebuild it into something that was a more effective screenplay. I, I think you nailed it. Yeah, I I really do. I mean, that's uh, I that is exactly how I would how I would set that up. Yeah. 
I mean, that being said, I still enjoy it, but the more we talk about it critically, the more bothered I am by it. So thanks. Uh, well, you know, and that's that's I think this is one of those films that I I was really entertained by, and so it's it's one of those that I I I feel like ah, it was so close. Yeah. Anyway, you know the other thing that really really pisses me off more than anything else about this film. What? The freaking movie poster. Yeah. I never, yeah. I don't think I have ever seen a movie poster that so blatantly gives you the ending of the film yes. on the actual poster. Yes. It's like, it's this horrible. is the last shot of the film when the protagonist dies. Yep. Look. Yep. Yep. <laughs> not uh, only it's... that, the movie poster just has her, uh, just has Jennifer in the, in the uh, infrared camera light as she's being dragged off. And then it has some text on the poster. The DVD cover and the Blu-ray cover takes it one step farther and actually adds behind her a creepy little figure with a glowing eye and a scary Nosferatu hand reaching for her. It's like, seriously, <laughs> good God, just <laughs> let me watch the movie. You will not get to watch the movie. <laughs> I don't need to now. Yes. Uh, what else do you want to talk about this film? We we can I, we can well, I think get all I, critical of it. Uh, we've yeah. already done our part there. Yeah, and, you know I, I'm just going back to the whole wreck versus quarantine thing. You know, like you said, the director was very upset about this film. He uh, said it's impossible for me to like because it is a copy. It's the same except for the finale. It's impossible to enjoy it after wreck. I don't understand why they avoided the religious themes. They lost a very important part of the end of the movie. I, I, I think he's putting a little too much emphasis on his own ending, uh, again, like we were just talking about. I think they both work in their own right, although, as we talked about, like I said, it's it's feeling a little more problematic. Um, uh, it did spawn a sequel, Quarantine 2 Terminal, which is an airport outbreak, and then they have to quarantine the airport. Just like Wreck has, uh, I think, uh, created three sequels, Wreck 2, Wreck 3, Genesis, and then Wreck 4 Apocalypse, I believe, is supposed to be coming out this year. I'm not sure if that is still in the work in the works, but there's a whole bunch of these Wreck films uh, and quarantine films that if you are into this particular story, you can watch all sorts of different sequels. I have not seen any of them. <laughs> I haven't either. I haven't either. I'm not <laughs> sure. I, I, you know, after Wreck, I mean, I am curious to see when you take a story like this that is essentially a um, everyone dies. <laughs> yeah. What What do you do next? You know, where are you going to go with it? I believe Wreck Two was, um, was it the military that goes into this building to try to figure out what happened? Um, and we're following them, I believe. Uh, well, I see, I, that's certainly, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I've not seen either of them, but I find, I find that more believable than, uh, you know, the idea of a quarantine to uh, yeah, quarantine. moving to the airport is. Slightly... I mean, I guess the idea behind that is, okay, so maybe this dog bit somebody. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Or maybe it's, well, let's see. Ralph had been bitten by a hamster, which is really a lab rat brought onto the plane by Henry for his school students. Uh, okay, yeah. that sounds already sounds pretty bad. So, yeah. Uh, but the movie did pretty well, yeah? It, uh, it did do uh, pretty well for itself. I mean, it wasn't like, uh, you know... How it does did... it compare to Forrest Gump? 
Well, when you look at Tom Hanks's films, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. Where does it fall in line with Tom Hanks's films? It's uh, it did make money. It uh, you know, looking at it, I mean, this this is a a little film. It cost twelve million dollars to make. Oh, you know, something I was going to point out. This is a film by John Eric Dowdle, um, who had before this made the Poughkeepsie Tapes, which is another uh, found footage film, and that is. Um, I guess you'd say it was kind of his calling card that got him noticed so that he was able to then uh, make quarantine and make something with a much larger budget. So, uh, yes, he and his brother got to play with $12 million on this one, which, uh, you know, they said was, uh, you know, unbelievable amount of money. And they were, you know, thrilled with it. I mean, they built this entire apartment set in in a stage. It's, it's all an actual set uh, inside a stage, which I, I'm always amazed by that. But when you're filming a movie where you have such long takes, this is something we didn't talk about is the camera work. You're essentially, you know, you have these really long takes. You can't, it's so hard to do that in an actual building. You need to find ways to run cables so that when you plot this whole move out where, it, I mean, you, it could be like a six minute shot that you're filming and you may start on one floor and then you're going to follow characters up the stairs to another floor, into a room, back out, uh, maybe back downstairs, all these different things. And they have to find ways for all these people running the different cables for the monitors and for the audio and for everything else. Um, they have to find ways to hide all of that. You can't just Normally, it's behind the lens. You don't have to worry about it. But in this instance, when the camera is all over the place, it all has to be moving with the camera and behind the camera. So it makes for a much more difficult shoot. And, I mean, they would say, you know, they would have a day on set where they would spend almost the entire day just rehearsing and figuring out the moves for a particular shot because it was so long. And then by the time, uh, you know, it was about six o'clock at night, they're, they're ready to roll. And, you know, the studio is always getting really nervous. But by the time they'd hit six o'clock, they would do a take and they would just go through the whole thing. And that was six minutes. And they've got that huge chunk of film shot. And then they would do it again and again. And they'd film it, you know, as many times as they needed to. And, you know, all the actors, everyone was really afraid they were going to botch a line or screw something up. And the camera people were afraid they were going to move incorrectly or whatever. Because if you screw up, you know, five minutes into a six minute shot, then everyone's going to be a little pissed at you. <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, yeah so anyway that's that, amazing that being said they did have 12 million dollars to make this movie and then 21 million dollars to market this movie so lots of money to uh really kind of push this out to people and then it made um let's see what did it make domestically it made a little over 31 million and internationally it made about 9.6 million so you know it did okay for itself in the scheme of things, it uh, it made a, a profit of about eight point three million dollars, and adjusted profit per finished minute is about a hundred thousand nine hundred sixty dollars and sixty six cents per finished minute. Well, you know, hey, not, it made a that's, profit. That's yeah. <laughs> it let these guys go on to work with uh, M Night Shyamalan and make Devil after this. <laughs> Good for them. That's great. <laughs> That'll be great for another podcast to talk about. <laughs> Not ours. Um, all right. Well, I think we should probably rank it. Well, before we do, I just want to say oh, you got some, yeah. just a couple other actors that I think are great in this. Uh, Rade uh, Serbegia, I believe is how you say his name. I always love him in every movie he's in. Once I see him, I'm just like, okay, I'm in good hands because he's just a great character actor. Yes. And uh, Greg uh, German is in this as the uh, the vet. Allie McBeal fame. 
I know. Who'd have thought he'd be popping up in this? So I he's like, fun to I see. I like him a lot. He's fun to see, yeah. He's always fun to see. I always I always think of Waddles when I see him. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's so true. <laughs> yes. And then uh briefly, uh we do get to have a little bit of Dennis O'Hare, who's just a great actor. He's kind of the drunk lawyer in this who gets mauled by the dog in the elevator. Not a fun death. <laughs> That was but, fantastic. Uh, yeah, but he's great. I, I love him, and uh, he's been in American Horror Story, which is a lot of fun to see. And, uh, yeah, he's just a fun actor to watch. Awesome. Yeah. All right. All right, now let's rank it. Now let's rank it. All right, it. head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You can catch our uh, catch our list. You can friend us over there and uh, see how our favorites uh, stack up against yours. All right, here we go. Quarantine or the Bourne Ultimatum? Yeah, I can already I, tell this is going to be hard. I'm going to say Born Ultimatum. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, me too. That's a great end. It is. No, it's, it's that's right. Uh, I know where this one will end up. Quarantine or Yee a one and a two. No, it turns out it's not that hard. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> not quarantine, right? Yep. I would say quarantine too. I, I really enjoy watching quarantine. I guess I'll just shut my brain off when I hit that end and not have to think about what you, can, you, you have to ruined it for me. You yeah. kind of have to. That's you do. That's fair. It's, it's so stinking creepy. I don't care if it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it is the creepiest end to a film. I am so claustrophobic by the time I get to that end of that film. I just crawling out of my skin. So it works really well on me. All right. Quarantine or panic room. Oh, panic room. Yeah. Panic room. Quarantine, or it happened one night. Quarantine. So completely different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'll say quarantine, too. I mean, I really like it happening one night, but uh, it's. I think it's one of those things. I just don't put on the movies from the 30s that often. Yeah. I hate to say it, but that's the truth. Quarantine or a league of their own? Huh. Well, that's familiar. <laughs> it sure is. I I, I, I put I don't on know. quarantine. I would too. I I you know, ten years ago I may have put on League of Their Own first, but uh, well, that I, I would be because some, quarantine hadn't been made yet, been released yet. Yeah, yeah. No, but I, you know, I, I I really like League of Their Own. I think I just liked it a, a little less this time. So quarantine. All right, quarantine. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah, even though it has a lot of problems, I still would go with Indy. It's Indiana Jones. It's Indiana Jones. Quarantine or Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, man. I enjoy Driving Miss Daisy, but I i mean, I would put on Quarantine first. I'd put on Quarantine first, and it feels like a betrayal. It does feel like a betrayal. We're sorry, Jessica. All right. Quarantine is 81. All right. Broke the top 100. Not too bad. Not too bad. Hey, uh, speaking of, just as an aside, have you seen, you know, the uh, the movie The Raid? The Raid, Raid 2? Uh, yes, I've seen The Raid Redemption. I have. Uh, Raid 2 hasn't come out yet. Right. <clears throat> so, have you seen the, the um, stunt uh, coordination stuff for the uh, high-speed uh, car chase? That no, has been floating around the web. All right. So what happens? I'll post this in the thing. It's a, a, a this absolutely blows me away. So it's a sixty mile per hour car chase on a highway, and they have one camera, and the camera, like if you're just watching the finished shot, 
the camera uh, approaches the car, right? It's as if the car, you're, the car is chasing the POV of the camera, right? And the, the camera gets closer and closer to the car uh, until it goes in the passenger side window of the car, uh, across through the car, out the rear passenger side window of the car and into uh, and over to another car. Hmm. Right? One camera, one shot. And the setup for this thing is unreal. The camera is on it, one cameraman is holding it on a on a follow car. Uh, that car gets close to the stunt car. Uh, the it turns out the um, passenger side seat has been removed and it's actually a cameraman dressed as a seat uh, <laughs> who grabs the camera. And hands it through the rear passenger side uh, window, uh, which is, and it is then grabbed by a guy laying on his back about six inches above the ground, the highway below him uh, on a rig. And he grabs the camera and holds it there on the opposite side of the car as the camera is then picked up by somebody else. It is amazing. Wow. So that's, uh, so Steven Spielberg did that in. War of the Worlds, but I think a lot of it was digitally done. This sounds this really compelling not. because it's it's actually crazy people doing this. <laughs> this is exactly why it's so yeah. cool. This yep. is a guy <laughs> dressed as a car seat. Is what this is. Son, what do you want to be for Halloween? <laughs> I want to dress like a, dress car, as a seat. car seat. <laughs> oh man, very clever. A lot of cleverness. Holy cow, right. that's pretty funny. Uh, I'll post that in the show notes. On the website at thenextreel.com. You should go check that out because that's where you're going to find it. Absolutely. And I think that's all we have. You got anything else for the people? Where are we go next week? What are we doing next week? week we talked about uh, this. Yeah, we're going to head over to Manhattan and we're going to take a romp with the American version of Godzilla Cloverfield. That's going in the show. That was horrible. What was that? <laughs> that was my next ringtone. Oh, great. <laughs> I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. 
If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>